Fran had uh, paint and paint brushes and drop cloths, so sorry for clothes. It's going to be a good time up there. Uh, Happy New Year. So we got a new year as a church and a new beginning in a lot of different ways, a new teaching focus that will start today too, and it's a really special one for our church. So we start Genesis today which is a big deal in the Bible. It's the first book of the Bible. It's a long book. There's a lot going on. It literally means beginning. We get to talk the foundations of our faith as people of God. We get to talk about the foundations really of our universe, especially today and over the next couple weeks. Most importantly, though, to look at God and what he wants us to know about him. Primary things about his character and nature as, as much as we're able to behold about him and it just In reality, it might be a decade before we as a church get to start from the beginning at the beginning of a year. So this is a special time. It's, it's a cool place to start, and it's a special time for our church. And that makes me really nervous, but really excited, too, for just a pivotal, cool moment for us. Before we start, before we read, I'm going to get some help reading today's passage, too, um, in a moment. But I want to tell you about our approach and give you some disclaimers kind of on the front end. I'll remind you of these as we go. To kind of put our approach into a sentence, we're going to approach Genesis with snowshoes on. So we don't deal a lot with snowshoes in Alabama, but you put snowshoes on to keep you from sinking and getting stuck. We could spend, really easily, spend a year probably on Genesis 1 through 3, but we want to go a little more broad to keep you into the overall story of what's going on um, and kind of track with the movements of what the author wants us to know so we We won't sink down into every place. That being said, we're reserving the right to sink down if we find some snow that we really like. So we have a a, a rough plan of what this will look like throughout the year, but we're just kind of flirting with that plan. We're not not married to it. So a disclaimer to this too, especially today, over the next couple weeks in the creation story, there's so much we do not know for certain, and there's a lot we could study about what we do not know. There is a well and good place to argue and debate creation theory, uh, literary form, like whether what we're about to read in Genesis 1, whether it's literal or whether it's poetic like a psalm, uh, historical accuracy, authorship, all those things. And I want to tell you on the front end, I'm not suppressing any of that. We invite you to ask questions as they come up as we go through this book. Um, I love that y'all are so respectful of my space and time, but so many of y'all ask a question about a sermon and you're like, hey, I don't want to bother you. I know you're really busy, but I'd love to ask you this question. You don't have to do that. Ask us questions about this. You doing that would be like you going through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and the person at the window and you say, hey, I I know you're really busy, but I'd really like to order a sandwich. that's, That's what I do is interact with you and your journey through God's story and you, your story and him. So I invite you to ask as those things come up because we won't get into all of those things in this space. So feel free to do that. It's an open invitation for you throughout this book. In this space, though, what we're going to really focus on is what I think the author, which we're pretty sure is Moses, even that, there's a, a, a hot conversation around that. But whoever it was, what he or she was concerned with and that being just the story of God, the person of God, and how it interacts with humans that are not God, and especially in a couple chapters who get very far from God. So I want to focus on that, and especially as we'll see even today, Jesus come up in that a lot, 
and God just set his character and nature in the same way that he would approach us in flesh thousands of years later in the Gospels and then now in a new covenant church from the beginning in Christ. So I'm excited to do that, excited for what God will do and teach us. Uh, I'm going to pray first before we read. I'm going to invite Stan Blankenship. He's going to come read for us. We're going to be in Genesis 1. This is a big reading. We're going to go through verse 25 today. So I'm getting some help to read it. And I just challenge you, whatever, I know we're all different in learning styles, listening styles. If it helps you to read it and imagine, if it helps you to sit and close your eyes, I'd invite you to visualize and just listen, to really listen well instead of pragmatically read that you would listen to this scripture being read from Stan as he comes. I'm going to pray and invite Stan to come on up. God, we thank you for a new year. We thank you for a new place to approach with uh, some fear and humility as we scratch our heads together at what it means that you have eternally existed and that from that existence you spoke and things were so. And how you would be mindful of us, interact with us, as seemingly really small, insignificant parts of your creation that have rebelled against you actively, that you would speak out of your eternity and call us into new creations as, as those in Christ. God, connect dots. Help things to stick. Help us wonder at you today. And I ask you in Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Okay, Zach said today's scripture reading is from Genesis 1, so this ought to be the simplest one you'll find in the entire year. If you'll turn your Bibles to the first page, and we'll read from, I'm reading from the New International Version, so it may be a little different from what you'll see on the screen or in your own Bible. And this is a story about the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and gathered the waters he called them the seas. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit and seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights to the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing that was water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill in the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to the kind, their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And this concludes the scripture reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Thank you, Stan, and I'm pretty sure that when God said all those things, other than it being in Hebrew, it probably sounded just like Mr. Stan's voice. <laughs> so we could have a lot of goals and hopes through this. It could, it could be a lot. Um, my hope for us today is that we would just collectively be amazed, be just kind of struck by the person of God in creation, by his character and nature. In creation, I think something that might kind of put this in, a, in a, a package to explain that. I write my sermons on Monday, typically, in the middle of nowhere. Because if I don't go to the middle of nowhere, I'll just want to call and text y'all the whole time and, and hang out with y'all. So, yeah, I was out there this past week, and I'm looking at 80-foot-tall pine trees. And it was really windy Monday, so they're whipping in the wind back and forth. And... To consider the fact that that pine tree will outperform many homes that will be built from wood that is cut from it. That it will outlast and outperform every vehicle in this parking lot right now that was designed by teams of engineers from plans printed on its pulp and paper. That the God that 
designed that, spoke it into existence, enabled its being sustaining and continuing, it lasting, it upholding, it producing more pine trees. That God is a God that would know us personally and with the same creative power call us into a family to be his people. And as we walk around, you know, our world and see all the stuff that we have made out of what God has made, it's so easy for that to just be forgotten. So I pray we'd collectively in a moment, I don't know what that looks like or feels like, but I just ask that God would do it in us, that we would collectively be amazed that he makes stuff, that that he's created, that he's a, a creative God, that we would worship that reality. So we're going to look at four things to this story and what kind of caused me to arrive at these four things, you know, we said one thing we won't do in this moment is necessarily debate all the interpretations and all those things. You know, whether this is literal, word for word, exactly like this in this exact time frame, or this is poetic and more like a psalm, I think these things transcend that conversation. And these are real true things about the character and nature of God that I hope would evoke a response of worship in us. So four things. The first thing is that God is and was... Second, God creates. Third, that God separates. And four, God blesses. So first thing we're going to look at is God is and was. So we get to this point four words in to all these verses, all 25 verses. So in the beginning, God created. So this means, as we read it, that in the beginning, God was there. And I think the first stop in us beholding the creation story is to be confused together, and I give you permission to be confused and maybe even frustrated at trying to field this with our human minds. The fact that the universe has a beginning, but our God doesn't. He doesn't have a beginning. God is forever backwards. And I invite that to freak you out and short circuit everything that you know about reality as you can see it. If, if we enter philosophical debate, scientific arguments around the existence of God or the origins of creation, they all get very circular and they kind of fry at this moment, like point of origin. Even if we entertain everything came from this little thing, we can always ask, where did the little thing come from? And that kind of goes on forever. Um, so an eternal being brings relief to that on paper, but if you're like me, it doesn't bring relief into your minds because we just have no point of reference for something that is forever the other direction, forever backwards. So... God, here forever, what was he doing forever backwards? I I don't know. And then we consider that in the creation story, he makes all things that we measure time with. So was there even time? And again, I just give us permission together to just be in awe of some of those realities that are so beyond what we know. I think one thing that will help us start to maybe understand and behold, at least to a point that we can worship is that a God that is eternal and forever is forever in fullness backwards. So all of God was forever backwards. And this brings us to a doctrine that we hold dearly as a church and as a people of God that we won't be able to exhaust or necessarily explain or plumb the depths of today, but the Trinity, that we worship a God that is one, but a God that exists in three persons. And it's so important and so easy for us to forget, especially as we just went through Christmas, that this three-person God, a God that is one God, but is God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that three-person God, all of him is forever backwards. 
And what that means is that there was community before there was creation. God had community, relationship with himself in his triune self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before there anything. I'm about to read you three New Testament passages back to back. They're not going to be on the screen on purpose because I want you to listen and just tie these together, listen for similarities uh, from perhaps three different authors in the New Testament. The first is from John's Gospel, the beginning of John's Gospel where we just were. This is John 1, 1 through 3. Just listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Next one is Paul writing to the church, uh, to the Colossians. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Lastly, from Hebrews 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What all these passages do, they put Jesus here in Genesis 1. Jesus in the beginning. We just celebrated Christmas where Jesus comes to us. He puts on flesh and comes to us. Christmas is not a celebration of the origin of Jesus. It's a celebration of an eternal Jesus, God the Son, putting on flesh and living among us. We read here that Jesus is an agent of creation, that he's involved in creation. I have no idea what that looks like, but I listen to it and wonder and worship that a God in Trinity... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is speaking everything that we know and see into existence. Pentecost, that's a Sunday that Reformed Baptists don't like to talk about a lot, where the Holy Spirit is sent to the church. We celebrate that in Acts chapter 2, and that is not the origin of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here in creation, in the beginning. He's hovering over the waters is what the Genesis writer says. I don't know what that looked like, but I awe and wonder at a God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, God in fullness backwards forever. So this eternal three-in-one God has fellowship. He's hanging out with himself, and that enables attributes like love to exist eternally. So when Jesus said in John 15, 9, where we were a few months ago, where Jesus says, I've loved you as the Father has loved me, that love is an eternal love that's existed forever backwards. A God that has no beginning spoke everything we see and know and a lot of things that we don't see and know into existence and that is wild and I invite you to be amazed and confused at that reality together that a God in fullness is and was so second thing God creates so God is and was second thing God creates just in Troy Church and this is just a few people we got people that make missiles a lot of people that make missiles we got people that manufacture food. We got people that make guns. I guess we're ready for zombie apocalypse. Go to Troy Church. 
We got people that make little plastic boxes that we glue on athletes that track their performance and their heart rate and their movement and their you know, velocity. And that's just inside of our church. It, we zoom outside of our church and people make some very impressive things. People can even clone things. But what no person can do inside of our church or in the whole universe, we can't create anything out of nothing. We can't do that as humans. We cannot give life. But God created. He creates. He did not make. He created the heavens and the earth. He didn't make the heavens and the earth. And he created out of nothing. So matter cannot be created or destroyed. We know and observe that law. So what in the world? This is what it means that God created the world. He spoke it into being out of nothing. So a couple things that um, we read out of the text. I want you to see first that he created by his words is what this author says. So I'm going to reread some of this. Genesis 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. 6 and 7, we see some more involvement. He said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water. Let it separate the waters from the water. And God made, that word made is like a blacksmith forming metal. So God spoke and was involved in this. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Let dry land appear. 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed. Um, Verse 14 and 15, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs for the season. Uh, Look in 20, God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly over the earth across the expanse of the heavens. 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to its kind and on and on. And at the end of all these, it says, and it was so. God spoke these things and they were so. There's activity behind some of these pronouncements, but primarily his word and the truth, the understanding of the character and nature and activity of God. We understand this is something that God does as he acts and interacts with creation. He speaks and brings stuff out of nothing. He brings things from nothing. He doesn't go to the hardware store for materials. He doesn't need materials. He creates by his word. So something else, um, a pattern to observe is I mean, this will be maybe a new term for you, but he creates form, F-O-R-M, F-O-R-M, yeah, and fill. There's a guy named Derek Kidner that we'll borrow from a lot. He write, wrote a, a, a resource on Genesis a long time ago. It's still one of the best ones, and it makes this observation. So what it observes is that the first few days, God makes form, and then the next few days, he fills up the form. So if you go build a house, you don't go to wherever and buy all your furniture and then put the furniture and build the house around it. You, you build the container first and then you fill it up. And that's what we observe God do. He makes light. He makes water. He makes sky. He makes hard ground. And then days four through six, he fills it up with stuff. He fills the light up with bodies that hold the light. He fills the sky with these bodies. He fills the water up with fish. He fills the sky up with birds. He fills the earth up with plants and then gives the plants for a source of food to animals that he continues to fill the earth up with. Eventually, next week, we'll talk about him filling it up with people. And I just want you to see the process, the order, the preparation, the sustainability, the the thoughtfulness, 
the plan through which God worked creation is. I want us to wonder and worship that a God that worked like this still works like this. And I hope that we collectively could draw our minds to our formation and our filling in Jesus. Paul borrows this terminology in Ephesians 2, maybe the most just clearest gospel explanation, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And in verse 10, he says that we are created in Christ Jesus. He uses that term, created in Christ Jesus. Just as God created the universe through Jesus, he creates us in Christ as new creations with Jesus. We who are broken and chaotic and formless, God speaks his words, the words of the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for the church, things that we could not do, and God forms Christians in that. By the person and work of Jesus alone, he forms. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just form us, clean us, make us fit to be in a relationship with him and leave us. He fills us. He literally fills us with himself, his spirit. And then his spirit in us fills us with actual, real, from the heart, character, and nature of God. Just like God created the universe through process and order and plan and thoughtfulness, he saves us through thoughtfulness and process and order and sustainability and plan. We're so prone in the South to ride on our forming. So we point back to this point in time where we did whatever and became a Christian, and that's kind of the sum total in a box of what our faith is. And we're not engaging with the fact that God is, is still involved and he's filling He's filling us with his character and nature. He's transforming us into the image of Jesus. The, the same time we're just as prone to strive and work really hard at that filling and forget about the fact that we're formed solely on the person and work of Jesus, we can miss in most directions. And we can have so much security and peace and just rest in the fact that we are formed solely through Jesus, but strive and have energy and motivation to be engaged in our filling with a God that forms and fills, that works in order and process. May we marvel at him working in that. We're going to do three out of four today, I think, so we can go slow through this third one. Told you there's a lot. Third thing is God separates, and we'll stop after this one. I'm going to take us kind of under the water for a second. We see God at the beginning. So in the beginning was, the, was God. But we also see other things that were there in the beginning. So it says the earth was there, and it says it was without form or void. It sounds scary. It sounds like our playroom at our house. There's darkness, and there's deep water. So did God make this earlier, and it's not discussed? Yeah, we read about the fall in Genesis 3. That'll come up, but we have to remember we know vaguely about a an earlier fall with Satan and angels. Is this darkness a product of that? Yeah, I don't know. And God will remind Job in Job 38 that Job doesn't know. Where were you when I shut up the deep waters? May we worship the vastness of unknown constantly through this. But regardless, what we do see is these backdrops of formlessness and void serve as a contrast to stuff that God will speak into existence here. I just want to kind of induct us for a second. So looking for, I want you to just look and maybe notice for the first time how, how much the word separated or separate is in this story. Verse 4, God saw the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. Verse 7, 
God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. Verse 9 and 10, God separated the land from the water. He makes dry land. Um, Verse 18, there's a further separation of light and dark as God gathers up light and sun and moon and stars and separates them from the darkness that surrounds them. Even in the animals, in the air, in the water, and all those things, their separation in their kinds and where they live. The birds are in the sky, they're not in the water. The fish are in the water, not on the land. The animals are on the land and not in either. There's this separation in the whole, even yet. After the separation, the darkness is still there, and the deep water is still there, but those things in the presence of the other things God has made, the whole is pronounced good. So God is looking at dark and light and saying, this is good, darkness included. This is all good. Y'all see that and track that. The darkness that was formerly chaotic and void and not called good, now in the presence and it being separated and in its spot, It's called good by God. So these separations allow for order and sustainability and flourishing in life. And we consider if we sit still and wonder about creation, we don't just wonder at individual things like pine trees or animals or rocks or wind or rain, but how they're distinct and how they work in creative order. That pine tree that I'm marveling at would not work in in a saltwater ocean. It wouldn't work there. A great white shark couldn't live in my backyard. Separation in, in space and in place and boundaries are what makes their life, their glory giving to God potential or reality. Their distinctiveness and separation is amazing. Our, our good God makes good separations. It was a distinctive of the created universe. Separation was a key feature that took chaos and formlessness and made it good. And there's a bad news and good news as we reflect on ourselves in light of this. When we get to the fall in a few weeks, we'll see a huge pillar of us as humanity acting a fool and our rebellion is us pushing back against separations. Us mixing things that are not meant to be mixed. We as fallen humans are prone to take things out of place and mix things that don't mix. Work and home, work and rest. Saying yes when we need to say no, saying no when we need to say yes. We're boundary breakers as we stand now in our fallenness. Tree of knowledge of good and evil and people separated because it was good for those things to be separated. We push the boundary. It's a key distinctive of our fallen nature. We are naturally in our sinful state bent toward breaking separations. It's the heart that looks at the mountains and say, hey, I'm going to go separate from work in busyness and chaos. I'm going to go to the mountains on a vacation. But hey, let's build a mall and offices in the mountains. That would be cool. Let's do that. That's what we do. That's our heart. Jesus will bear the nature of good separations perfectly for us. So Jesus comes to earth, to fallen sinful earth, but it's perfectly holy and good and, and separate and unstained from earth as he walks and interacts with it, even as he loves and relates to it. It's not a separation that is haughty or arrogant or distant. It's a separation that is in and around, like a part of the whole, 
but is perfectly distinct in a way that we never could and on our behalf. And through Jesus being separate perfectly for us, God will call a people out of the ashes through Genesis, we'll see, to be separate from the other pagan nations that do not ascribe glory and worship to God. And he calls us through Jesus. Remember way back when we were doing TV church, 1 Peter, a holy nation, that means a separate nation. We're a separate people. We're in the world, we're loving, and we're serving, but we're separate and distinct because of whose we are, because of whose life and work we're hidden in. This separation makes space for life as it's intended. And we'll talk about some specific applications of that um, in the, the coming weeks. We get to talk about work and rest, relationships. But in this, I'd ask you just to kind of maybe gauge your separateness, the quality of your separateness. And it's a question we ask often, and I think we should. How cozy does earth feel to you? How foreign is the thought that we're strangers? It's what Peter tells us. We're strangers here because our home is with Christ, a good God separates and God is really good at separating and as we interact with life now and there's good things and bad things it's very cool that God can work through the whole and have goodness and can point to goodness to we as people that are prone to let a little bit of bad kind of stain and ruin everything God is at work in everything we're going to stop here and save the blessing for a little bit I, I figured this might happen. It might be okay. Uh, but, yeah, American church, you want me to tell you the three things to go do to make this really applicable and easy, and there's, that's not here. This is a God that's existed forever, and he spoke and created everything and sustains it perfectly by the word of his infinite power. That's not something to go do. It's something to marvel at. So I invite us who are very reluctant and slow and quick to breeze by that and not marvel, to marvel at that for a moment. Because in marveling, it changes how you approach your house, your work, your perspective when the world looks like it's completely on fire to remember that a God that spoke it into being sustains it by his word and through the living word of Jesus. So I'm going to pray and ask him to help us do that.